0: Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of L.A.'s best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are.
1: Hi, this is Laura.
2: And I'm Kim.
1: Thanks for joining us again.
2: Yes, thank you very much. And today we are going to talk about preemptive training, or being proactive versus being reactive. Oh, okay. Makes so it makes a huge difference. Yes, a lot of times, um, people the mistake that they make with their dogs is that they tend to wait until a behavior happens, and then they react. They try to fix a behavior after the fact, and possibly they could have looked, taken a closer look at what started that behavior, how that behavior started, and been proactive about changing its course. You said earlier when we were talking about this because we talk about these before we do them. Yes. Earlier when we talked, there is a this, little preparation that goes into these shows. <laughs> we have bullet points now. We're trying to get more organized. Right. But anyway, uh, earlier you said that that was uh, setting them up for failure.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I, it's setting them up for failure, and not only that, but you know when you consider that practice makes perfect, it is true. That I made that up, by the way. That's that in was yours? one of our
2: earlier podcasts. That's my original. Yes. That's right. Yes. Ah, That's go right. Ahead.
1: So, so when if practice makes perfect, then if you're being reactive as opposed to proactive, then what you're doing is you're allowing your dog another opportunity to practice the bad behavior.
2: Right, and I think that the reason that people do that is because a lot of times where I would have them be proactive, or where you would have them pre- be proactive, they're not specifically bothered by a behavior at that point, and they don't see down the road. They don't see how that behavior is absolutely going to evolve into something that is eventually going to become problematic. So they think it's not a big deal. But if they're proactive about it, they look, okay, this behavior right now in the state that it's in right now may not bother me, but what if he was doing that under a different set of circumstances? So um, the one that first comes to mind for me is recall. A lot of times people will have their dogs out. I see this all the time when I go to the park, and it, it gives me a little bit of a giggle. And any client of mine that's listening to this will recognize this because I tell the people th- this a lot. And they'll take their dog out and have the dog off of a leash because they've been working on a recall and they've been working on off-leash control. Okay. And Or maybe it's not one of my clients. Maybe it's somebody that I don't know what they've been working on. But they will – they'll. the dog will see something across the park that catches his attention. And the people will see the dog see something that right, caught his attention. Right, And the dog will stand up very tall and will alert, and everything goes into alert mode. And the person will stand up really tall and alert, and, and they lean towards the dog. And then they wait until the dog breaks and takes off running, and then they, they step Buffy, come! <laughs> Hysterically. And that's kind of a reactive approach to things. Where, where- –
1: where when when should they have stopped it, Kim?
2: Where if they were going to be proactive about it, this is what I try to get my clients to do: um, when the dog first alerts on whatever it is that he's looking at, that's when you need to feed in some information. Right.
1: You step in and you say, "Yeah, uh-uh, we're not doing that.
2: Leave it," or whatever it is that you've taught the dog, or you call the dog at that point and you call the dog with something that he really that you know when you have something really important to him that is a good motivator for him. So. That's one that comes to mind for me. Is there one that comes to mind for you?
1: Um, let's see. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> Things like okay, so like door bolting. You know, dogs who bolt out the door. People tend to not train door behavior. They tend to just hold on to the dog's collar when they open the door, and then or body block the dog to keep him from getting too close to good the door. Yes. And then when the dog does sneak past them and run out the door. Then they try to call the dog, which probably doesn't have a recall anyway, because door bolting is a a recall issue, right? Right. And so then, instead of doing the training ahead of time, like this is proper door etiquette, they don't do any training. They try to, for the whole of the the dog's life, body block the dog at the door, which we all know fails. Right. Over the the lifetime of the dog, it's going to fail at some point. And then they try to recall the dog. And chances are they don't have a recall on the dog, or they wouldn't be so concerned about the dog getting out the door.
2: And they certainly don't have a stay. Or when they realize that their block is not working, they yell, stay.
1: Right, (laughs) which they probably don't have
2: either. Well, clearly they don't, and they wouldn't be blocking the dog. Right. Right. And so a better and proactive approach to that would be?
1: Teach the dog an alternate behavior when, when you go to the door. You open the door, the dog needs to have, like, a spot, ideally, you, away from the door, five or six feet away from the door. What I find works best is if it's someplace where the dog can still see who's at the door because at that point the dog is interested in who's at the door because, of course, you're interested in who's at the door. Right. So your attention is at the door. So if you try to put the dog around a corner on a, on a stay, the dog's going to be less likely to stay there. But if you put, like, a rug or a mat or a towel or something five feet back from the door but where the dog can still see who's at the door he's more likely to stay there and you teach him like a go to your spot so that the doorbell ringing or somebody knocking on the door you say go to your spot he goes there he still gets to see who's at the door Mm -hmm. and he stays there and the reason i want it that far back is because that way you have more warning that the dog has gotten up off of his spot if that happens
2: right well when I originally wanted to talk about this subject, it was after I had gone to a client's house and she was having a problem with the dog being very reactive to other dogs and being aggressive to other dogs. So as I sat on the couch talking to her about the dog, something somebody started a motorcycle at the next house and her front door was open and the dog immediately alerted and I hope I there's a, a screen alert. door in the front. No, but she has a, so, no, but her, her yard is fully fenced. It, it's okay. fenced all the way around. Sorry, okay. I should have explained that. So um, the dog goes into full alert mode, and I can see that he's ready to jump up and start barking. And I say to him, leave it. I use his name, and I tell him to leave it. I've worked with this dog before. And he instantly put his ears back and went, oh, okay. I didn't know. And she said, oh, no, I don't mind if he barks at that. And I said, (laughs) well, I I don't mind if he barks at that either, but if he practices this super reactive behavior all the time, that practice makes perfect thing again. Mm-hmm. If he practices this super reactive behavior all the time, and you never have given him any reason to control that, you've never taught him any kind of impulse control, then when he sees other dogs in a situation where you do want him to practice him in impulse control, he has zero practice. Mm-hmm. Zero. Because he says, oh, no, normally I get for this reactive, and... You don't do anything about it. Everything's fine with you. So that reactivity is. I think of training as a big web, and I think of behavior as a big web. And everything that happens on one side of the web affects things on the other side of the web. Depending on how far away from it you are, or how big the impact is, depends on how much it affects things on the other side of the web—a big spider web, let's say. Mm -hmm. But it all has impact. I just got the chills. Sorry, I hate spiders. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say spider because I don't want to freak people (laughs) out. But anyway, you get the idea. But I think that sometimes people think of behavior as these separate little boxes of things. okay, And how it's
1: not going to spread and affect other behavior.
2: And how it's not connected. Right. And most behaviors are connected. And because they don't understand that, people fall into that hole, that trouble spot of not being able to say, okay, I see this behavior and I see it what it is today, but how does that affect these other things that I'm not so crazy about? Right. Like the dog being reactive. When he is reacting to other dogs when he, this particular dog, that is just reactivity with him, but because he's never been asked to exercise any form of impulse control, and it goes way over the top, and now she's mad at him, she's bothered by it, but we can't start there. We can't start training him there. There are things that we can do, obviously, yeah. about that, but the best way to to train that is to train it at a lower level mm-hmm. when the reactivity when is not he so first, high.
1: Right, when he first alerts to... I think I heard noise.
2: And when he's alerting to something that isn't so immediately promising to him. Right. So if he's in the vet clinic and he's going into this huge arousal mode around the other dogs, it's very reinforcing to him mm-hmm. because it's exciting and they all react and there's all these things. If he, if we're at home and the motorcycle goes off and it starts to make noise and he reacts to it and nobody says anything and he mm-hmm. goes running outside, it's not as exciting to him as being in the vet clinic with dogs. So it's easier for us at that point to stop him when he first alerts. If we try just taking him into the vet clinic and trying to teach him that impulse control in that super exciting environment, right? it would be a lot harder for the dog. Yeah. And that's what I call reactivity training. I mean, that's that's when people are reacting to things instead of proacting. They're, they're not seeing down the road.
1: Right. And that goes the same for, like, dogs that bark on a walk. They're out of control. And it's not even barking. It's just pulling on the leash or not paying attention to you on the walk. hmm I've had numerous appointments where the dog doesn't pay attention to the owner on the walk. It's like they're walking down the street, and the owner is just a big log that the dr- that the dog is dragging along. Mm-hmm. The dog never looks back at the owner, never makes eye contact with the owner, never interacts at all, never looks for that interaction, Mm -hmm. and then you watch them in the house, and of course the owner is trying to kiss at the dog and say the dog's name and get the dog's attention, but then you get in, you know, you observe them in the house, and the dog does the same thing in the house. The dog doesn't pay attention to them in the house, and the owner doesn't ask for their attention in the house. So I tell them, you know, you can't if you're not getting it in the house where there are no distractions, there's no way you're going to get it outside in the real world when there are a lot of distractions.
2: Right. Right, and so when we're when when I, when we talking about reactivity, what I mean is waiting until you've decided a particular thing that the dog does is undesirable and not seeing the connection to all the other things that the dog does on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. that was a perfect example because the dog walks around ignoring the people in the house. So it's very unrealistic to think that he's going to get on the leash and suddenly become interested in what they have to say. Right,
1: whether well, dog smells and cat smells and people going by, and kids on bicycles, and
2: yeah. Yeah, there's so much to see and do. Right, Right. and it's really exciting and really fun. Another one I think that's a big deal, and I think maybe we'll do a podcast totally about this, but just to touch on, is barking.
1: Yeah, that has a lot of implications.
2: Yeah, a lot. Barking, a lot of times, people don't consider, they let their dog bark at things that they think are appropriate. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when the dog barks at seemingly inappropriate times.
1: That we call inappropriate.
2: Exactly. That we call inappropriate.
1: The dog should know. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just had to put that in there.
2: Well, and that is the expectation. The expectation is the dog should know that this is in an inappropriate time. But you made a really good point. It's inappropriate to us, not to the dog. And it's very difficult for him to adopt our sensibilities. Mm Mm-hmm. Have, if he has not been trained to recognize certain ideas. Right.
1: How is he supposed to make that judgment?
2: So if he hears your neighbors when you're home and he reacts and you think, oh, well, that's okay because I want him to bark because I want people to know there's a dog here. And then, you know, you go off to work and he barks all day long at the neighbors. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you're, you're so you're going to start to recognize that being proactive about that behavior might have been in your best interest. So, what I notice, though, the thing that I notice the most when I'm working with people is how often they will watch something and they will know that it's about to go wrong. This is most obvious when you have a dog, again, that you're working on off-leash training. Mm -hmm. And and I, I take it back to that. The dog will alert on something. Right. And they will know that the dog is about ready to bolt. And they will stand there and get ready for the dog to bolt. And it's common, I see it a lot, so mm-hmm. apparently this somehow works into a human sensibility. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, "Well, that's the time to react." Or if their dog is going to fire on another dog, I see this with t- people who have dogs that are going to fire on another dog. They'll take their dog out and they'll watch the dog really carefully for his reaction, and they'll and they'll brace themselves for his reaction instead of trying to get his attention before he goes. Right. Off.
1: I really, you know, I, I really do wonder what are they waiting for.
2: Well, and I think that's interesting. If you ask people, they will look at you. I mean, listen, I work with wonderful – I love my clients. I've had a a lot of fun, and I've learned a lot from my clients. But it's really interesting. I've asked that question, and they will always look at me, kind of stare at me for a second, and then kind of get this grin on their face like, oops. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think they even know what they're waiting for. Yeah. I think maybe in human behavior it's not polite to – Assume that somebody's going to do something. So maybe as we're going along with other people, if I make the, the assumption that you're about to do something and I accuse you of it, then there starts a conflict between the two of us because right. you can say, well, I wasn't even going to do that and it, and it starts a lot of conflict. And maybe that's the thing. What people don't understand, though, is when... When they know that a dog is going to react to something, when they see something in that dog's behavior, that dog has already spoken the words to them, I'm going to do this. Right. They've just done it through body right. language.
1: It's like, let's say you're having a dinner party, you know, and not, not even dinner, but you have some hors d'oeuvres on the coffee table, and your dog walks by and eyes the hors d'oeuvres, and you see him do it. You see him walk by, and he, or he's even just not even walking by, he stops at the coffee table and stares. At the food, are you going to wait for him to jump up on the coffee table and start chowing down before you stop him? Or are you going to, as soon as he notices that they're food and is looking at it, is that when you're going to stop him?
2: And tell him to leave it or do whatever it is that you've done. Yeah, and then. If, are you going to assume that as you go along with your dinner party that if you get distracted, your dog isn't going to head on back there and pick up a exactly. few years for himself? Right. That's that's that would be a case of being reactive. You're waiting for that disaster to unfold. Yeah, let's
1: just see what he does.
2: <laughs> this kind of, I have to say, this kind of goes back to testing versus training. Yeah. And um, it's it's it is about setting the dog up for failure. Mm-hmm. It really is, and and it's not fair. And it's a really bad strategy. Yeah,
1: it's not educational.
2: Yeah, it's a bad strategy. Anyway, you know, if your ultimate goal is to get the dog to not do these things, then you have to set him up to do the right things.
1: Right, and I think that that's where a lot of people fall down in this, is that they they think, and I really truly believe that people think that they cannot do anything about it until the dog does something. I agree. That they can't... That, that they have to punish the dog for doing it. Otherwise, how is he going to know not to do it? It never occurs to them that you can stop him from doing the behavior when he's just
2: thinking about it. And that you can then set it. It's not just that you move in and stop him from doing the behavior. Then you set it up as a training exercise. Right. Perhaps you don't do it in the case of the dinner party, perhaps, or, or, or the party with the hors d'oeuvres. You, perhaps you don't do it at the time when you're having the party. Right, not when
1: 20 people are there, yeah.
2: Right, but you say, okay, mental note to self. <laughs> got to set this up as a training maneuver. Here we got I'll to. I'll come set- in every
1: day with some cheese and crackers on the coffee table and have my dog there and teach him what to do instead.
2: And then I have to start working up to more people being in the room and there being a higher level of distraction. And I have to make sure that I've rewarded him heavily right. for ignoring the food. And then I can't just instantly put him in a te- in a training situation. I mean, a testing situation right. where he we went from he and I doing it by ourselves to for you know half an hour a day to a party
1: right he and I yeah he and I doing it by ourselves where I'm concentrating on him versus when I'm the hostess of a party and my attention is now divided between everything else that's going on and
2: I'm talking and I'm laughing and I'm having a good time and um, by the way that just brings me to another quick point this is an aside and totally my opinion Laura you can divorce yourself from this if you want to but we'll see if you're going to have a party and you're drinking get your dog out of there because honestly alcohol and and animals don't mix That is my opinion. I think that it's a mistake when people start, um, and I'm not talking over drinking. I'm just talking about if you're having a party and everyone's having a cocktail and you're going to be a little impaired, don't assume that your dog is going to behave exactly the way that he did before. This is off topic, but still, it's something that I feel strongly about and that I've seen a lot of. So, um, oh, you did divorce yourself. You went dead silent. I'm
1: listening. Well, do you have an opinion? Um. I'm sure I will at some point. I have to. I have to um, think about that. You have to process. Yeah, I mean, because you know, we're hermits and we don't have people over and we don't drink that much. So I've never happened upon the situation really personally.
2: Oh, so. okay. Well, I have. I've been to parties before where people well, start to drink and the dogs. Anyway, this is a tangent. Well, we'll you're you we'll much
1: a- more the social butterfly than I am.
2: I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pretend I have a life. Okay, whatever. Okay, another one where preemptive training might come into play is when you have a dog that is behind fences or behind a window, Mm -hmm. and the dog continuously reacts to people going by outside the window. Mm -hmm. And then?
1: Well, that goes along with what you said about people wanting their dog to bark. They want people to know that there's a dog there. But when do you stop it? When do you, and how do you stop it? Because now you're, you're, especially if you're standing there and you're allowing the dog to bark, you're there in this situation and the dog is barking because somebody's walking by. And I know a lot of people who think it's funny. They laugh at the dog or they tell the dog, good dog, or they look outside and they go, oh yeah, it's just so-and-so walking by. But then they don't realize that it then spreads to when the dog is on a leash walking out on the street.
2: Well, and I think that a lot of times they don't recognize that that barking is actually aggressing. Mm Mm-hmm. That barking becomes aggressing. It might start out exploratory.
1: Right. Or alarm it, barking.
2: Yeah. Just, just to see what would happen. But it, it does go to the place where they are now insisting that the person leaves.
1: They're getting reinforced. Every time somebody walks by the house and the dog barks, the dog is being reinforced for chasing the person away.
2: Which is, I think, why a lot of mailmen and UPS guys and those people get bitten. Right. Because a dog stands behind a gate or behind a, a window. And the mailman comes up to the door, and the dog says, You get out of here! You get out of here right now! Right. He's barking, of course. You better leave! You better get away! This is my house! And the mailman runs away. Right. Walks away, but still, leaves. Right. And the dog walks away going, ha, ha, uh, And I, and I that told happens, him.
1: Right. And that happens six days a week, 52 weeks a year, minus holidays. Right. So how often is that dog getting reinforced for chasing away somebody in a uniform? Because how often have you heard... Oh, dogs hate people in uniforms. Oh, yes, they're born hating people in uniforms. It's like, no, because people in uniforms, the UPS guy, the FedEx guy, the mailman, you know, the meter readers, they come to your house, they're wearing a uniform, the dog barks, they leave, the dog gets reinforced for chasing them away. That's why they bark at people in uniforms.
2: Right. And then then sometimes the day that that dog accidentally becomes face-to-face with that particular person in uniform or some other person in uniform... The dog has the nerve, in some cases, not all, mm-hmm. to now take it a step further and go ahead and make a bite. Right. Because he said, I said, get out of here, and you're not going fast enough. Right. So you need a little reminder. Right. And he's really
1: confident because it's worked so well in the past. He knows and he's that just guy's sure this of him. guy's going to. Exactly. <laughs>
2: that's right. He knows he's exactly. bigger and badder than that guy. Yeah. And he knows that that guy knows it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's worked before. That's right. And, you know, that's one of those areas where, for me, for instance, I'm preemptive about that one because I actually will have my dogs out front and have the mailman go by and make a point of greeting the mailman and talking to the mailman and being friendly. And I used to actually live at a house where um, I had a fence around the front and mm-hmm. the mailbox kind of was over the top of the fence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the houses in the neighborhood were that same setup. And the mailman at that house was so smart. I loved this guy anyway. He was just a really nice man. He would carry around dog treats. Mm-hmm and come up to the yard. And so they did bark. Mm -hmm. It was a different kind of bark. Right. It was was a, a, hi, 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 hi. He's here. Right, right. (laughs) It was a greeting. But what we're talking about is being proactive and recognizing that sometimes what you find to be acceptable in one set of circumstances wouldn't be acceptable in another. And you have to think about that behavior as how often do you let them practice a behavior in a set of circumstances that you think is okay. And then when they get into this other set of circumstances, so let's say behind the door or mm-hmm. behind the gate or behind the window versus out loose, where they then try to chase somebody off, it's the same behavior. It's the same, I'm going to get you. It's just that now there are no no holds barred. There's nothing right. to stop There's them. There's not
1: a barrier there. And so we think that it's more urgent to stop the dog, whereas in the past, we've never told the dog not to do it.
2: And when we get very urgent to stop the dog and we we put in all this high emotion and this upset and this fear because we're worried right right, now, right, right? Right. And so we get all excited about it, and the dog says, oh, we are going to get him. Look, she right. agreed. We're going to get him good. And that's more likely to, try, uh, to cause a bite. Yeah. So what I think, ho- I hope that people get out of this as they listen to it is that if you start to think proactively... I drill this into my clients. I'm sure that any of my clients listening to this are cracking up right now because I drill this into my clients. Think proactively. You have to start stopping the dog when it's not a problem for you. You know,
1: one of the funniest, something you said there just reminded me of something, one of the funniest appointments that I've ever had, and this, this was like a huge light bulb going off for me, and we're walking, and he tells me that the dog is reactive on the leash, only sometimes sometimes. So I said, okay, well, let's take the dog out and see. So we're walking, and there's another dog like a block and a half away that comes around the corner, and he starts saying the dog's name. The dog looks up and sees the dog, and I'm watching the dog. The dog looks up and sees the other dog and doesn't do anything, doesn't have any reaction, and the guy says the dog's name. And the dog goes, yeah, and immediately perks up. And then he says the dog's name again, but in a more cautious manner. And the dog goes, yeah, I got him. I got him. I see him. I see him. And he continues to say the dog's name. But each time he says the dog's name, it's in a more
2: urgent. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, Lucy, Lucy,
1: Lucy. And the doctor goes, yeah, I got it. I'm on it. I'm on it. I see it. I'm on it. And then the dog goes off. And, and
2: it builds and yeah, builds and
1: builds. Exactly. And... and as I'm watching this whole thing, at the end of it, I say, okay, so when you said her name, what did you want her to do? Right. <laughs> what did you expect? And also, not only that, but he hasn't he hadn't stopped. He continued to walk towards the dog that's that had come around the corner. So he's getting closer to her. And when I said, what did you expect her to do? He said, well, I expected her to turn around. And she was on a retractable leash, too, which didn't help because now she's 15 feet ahead of him. Right. And he says, well, I expected her to turn around and come to me. And I said, have you ever trained said that? her name <laughs> and had her come to you, like, without doing a
2: recall? Right. Uh, no. Well, the funny thing about that, and the interesting thing about that, aside from the fact that it's sort of a funny story anyway, but the interesting thing about that is he was actually attempting to be proactive. That's what's really funny he, about yes. it. Yes. He was actually attempting to be proactive. He said, okay – she sees the dog and I'm going to let her know now. Except he didn't let her know anything. I know. He there just was said no her information. Name. He just said her name. And the
1: tone in his voice got more more excited. Exactly. It was it was more it was more oh
2: oh uh oh. <laughs> oh no. Here it comes. There it is. Do you see it? <laughs> and she was she was Oh, going she with him. <laughs> Oh, she
1: perked up. She got on her toes. I mean, you, the whole change in her demeanor. Right. For this whole thing, every time he said his name, she just got higher and higher and higher and taller and, yeah.
2: So the way he could have been proactive about that is when he saw the other dog. He could have waited until she saw the other dog and then said her name and asked her to do something. Yes. That would have been a proactive approach to that training situation. He would have had something to motivate her on hand, right, Right. something that he had worked with. He would have waited until she saw the dog it is important to wait till they see the dog right. because they, you want them to see but you don't want to wait until they're in full alert right. you want them when they catch that first glance at the dog, you want to say their name and ask them to do something and have a very strong motivator to be u- working with at that point. Right.
1: And yet, could I have stopped him from saying her name and getting of her that? Of course I could have. But I wanted to see, because he said sometimes she goes off, sometimes she doesn't. And oh, I wanted to see. see. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to see. Yes, it was one more opportunity for her to practice the bad behavior. Well, I, know. I mean, she didn't actually go off at the other dog because I stopped him before she got to that point. But I just wanted to see how amped up she would get. And his voice changed every single time he said her name. It just kept getting more intense and more intense, and... And I was, I guess maybe I was waiting to see if he would notice.
2: Well, and I also think as a trainer, you have to watch how has this built itself into this problem. And so I do the same thing. It's not setting them for failure. We have to see what is the dynamic at hand here. And where is the stopping point of this dynamic. So I would have actually allowed that to unfold, too, even though. A big part of me would have wanted to step in and say, stop. Yeah, yeah. But but you have to see. how is it, Because that helps you figure out how to un- take this down, unravel it, and build it back in a way that you want it to go. But it, it, it's really interesting to me because that was a situation where he actually is attempting to be proactive. And mm-hmm. I think the majority of the time what I see are people who just, you can see their whole body goes into the tense mode. Mm-hmm. And they're waiting for the big explosion. Why? I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. What's advantageous about that? I don't know. I think because they don't know what else to do. So that's what I'm hoping that people will walk away from listening to this, is that if you come up with a plan of action, and this is, by the way, something a trainer can help you do. I mean, I'm not necessarily telling everybody that they should try to work through problems on their own. If a problem is something that you really, that is confounding to you, then this is a place where a trainer can help you. However, if you see the dog start to key on something, to react to something, that's the time to step in. If you see behavior that when it's out on the street is unacceptable, then try to recognize when it's at the house how often they do that same behavior and right. it seems acceptable to you. Right. Try to find a place that is not terribly arousing, that, that where the dog is not terribly committed, where there's not a huge payoff yeah. to the behavior, and start working at it at that level. Right. I know when I'm teaching a lot of off-leash work, I will have people work with distance. So anyway, that's another podcast. We're it probably is. probably about wrapped up on this one.
1: We are. I just wanted to say that, you know, a lot of the times that we get phone calls and people say, well, he only does it outside or he only does it here in this situation, but then the more you talk to them, the more you realize they are doing the same behavior but maybe a smaller version of it in other places, and that's where you need to stop it.
2: And that's almost across the board. Yeah. Almost across the board. Anytime you talk to people, they will say, oh, it only happens here, and it happens in about five other places. Right. But it's acceptable
1: to them. Even if it's not acceptable, it might bother them. But because it's not to the extent that it is outside, they don't recognize it at the sa- as the same behavior. Or as a problem. And they figure they yeah as a problem, or they figure they can live with it. So I guess you know my point is: pay attention to what your dog is doing outside, and look for smaller or whatever it is that's bothering you, and look for smaller versions of it elsewhere, and stop those. Right. Step in to those and say that's not going to fly.
2: Right. Instead of waiting until it's a huge problem and then reacting to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that probably wraps it up for today.
1: Thanks for joining us. This is Laura.
2: And I'm Kim. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818 800 4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818 890 1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.